Hello, bathers, and welcome to Dispatches from the Communal Bathroom. I'm Chris Delamere. I'm Sam Bradley. And each episode of this podcast, we bring in audio dispatches. I don't know what Sam's brought, he doesn't know what I've brought, and we share them with each other. It's a podcast about ideas. These ideas can be uh, anything. They can be a song, an interview, or borderline unlistenable sound arts. All manner of shit is welcome in the bathroom. We're leaning on the third one, the borderline <laughs> unlistenable sound art this month. How unlistenable are we uh, expecting to be this episode, Sam? Well, Chris, um, I've brought at least two things that are borderline unlistenable sound art. Fab. Straight out the gate. <laughs> Um, if you've never listened to our podcast before, that sets you up nicely uh, with the kind of thing to expect. Um, stuff that's not worth listening to, <laughs> or at least very difficult to listen to. No, it's, 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 it's adventurous. It's exciting. It's experimental. You know, we're really going to push some boundaries, kind of. Nice, nice. We had a bit of a bumper crop uh, last episode because it was the first episode we'd done in like 10 months or something like that. Uh, and so we were very much uh, feeling the pressure on this second episode. This one is uh, maybe a, a tad scrappier this time. A, yeah. a little bit leaner on the bones. This is all to say, technically, I haven't brought anything. <laughs> technically, Sam's brought no dispatches. He's travelled all the way up from Bristol to Sheffield into into my home and he's brought nothing. <laughs> yeah, so uh, all of mine will be performed live. Uh, on now this that is exciting, podcast. actually. That's pretty cool. Come to the bathroom. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, should we start with one of yours first, Sam? Or yes. Yeah, let's do it. I'm excited. This is a challenge. Uh, which challenge is... accepted. <laughs> um, so, this is what's known as the Seven Eleven Challenge. It was proffered by a YouTuber who I have mentioned on this podcast in the jazz episode, mm. Mr. Adam Neely, oh, yeah. who uh, brought the lick to my attention. Yep. Yeah. And he had a video the other week that was uh, talking about polyrhythms oh. and um, how to do basically how polyrhythms work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so one polyrhythm that I have actually kind of learned to do is 4-3. Or is it 3-4? It's either 4-3 or 3-4. So basically the, the way that polyrhythms work is you have, uh, say, like a period of time and then you split it into, say, 3-4. You split mm. that period, say, a bar of music. You split it into three beats and you split it into four beats and you yeah. play them simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah. So the way that 3-4 works is uh, the phrase he uses is pass the goddamn butter. Can you give us an example? Uh, right. So let me, let me see if I'm good. Yeah, yeah. This is my right hand. This is my left hand. So okay. it's... Pass the goddamn butter. Pass the goddamn butter. Pass. And okay. one hand is going one, two, three, four. What's going? One, two. So one's the other is doing what? So uh, um, you click them both together on one. Yeah. And then uh, left. Yeah. Right, left, right, left, right. Oh. Yeah, that's the 4-3 polyrhythm. Oh, yeah. Because there's the pulse at the background. Mm, 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 yeah, and mm. it's... Yeah. Because your brain, I think, naturally, your brain hears the one, Duh. two, three, four. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't it? And then you can fill it in. 
Oh no, I think I hear the three. Three, one, two, three. You see, no, but only when you start <laughs> thinking about it, so throw confused. me, throw me completely. I hope everybody's trying this at home. Pass the goddamn bird. So birth. yeah, with my right hand, I'm doing one, two, three, three one, four, two, three, four. One, Wait, no, what am I doing? One, two, three, one, two, three, two. The, the See, I thought I was doing four on that hand. Yeah. One, two. That hand's, go- that hand's going faster. It's clearly going faster. Should I not be doing that? No, that's correct. Oh. That one's doing four and that one's doing three. Oh, as in the... W- yeah, okay. Fun. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Adam Neely... Uh, created a challenge he was in a 7-eleven and he said hey how's about we do a challenge that's do the polyrhythm that is 7-eleven so it's seven equally spaced beats and 11 equally spaced beats in a single period of time whoa <laughs> so this sounds very difficult because it kind of is <laughs> but um there's quite an easy way of working this out and uh, this is explained in detail in his video, but um, I've done it very simply, and I'm going to show Chris here. So the easiest way to do it is you write the numbers one to seven yeah. across a page. Uh, and you do that 11 times. So you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven uh, yeah. from left to right. And then you have 11 rows of that. And then what yeah, you so do is 11 rows of one, 11 yeah. rows of two. Yeah. Yeah. So you can read it. Across. And then what you do is you circle every time you count up to 11 and every time you get to one, you circle the number. Um, so on the first line, it's one. Uh, and then you go two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five is the next 11. Oh, boy. Um, so now the challenge, once you've done that, what you want one of your hands to do is go on the one. Yeah. So say your left hand does the one every time you say one. And the right hand goes whenever you reach one of the numbers that you've circled. Okay. Yeah. So your left hand will click 11 times yeah. and your right hand will click seven times in a, in the same period of time but you have okay. to count to seven <laughs> repeatedly right so i've been practicing this a little bit yeah okay i'm impressed uh so i'm let, impressed before you've even done anything yeah. so it's quite weird because once you actually get used because i was like oh counting to seven's really hard but actually once i got used to it just going one two three four five six seven one two three four five six seven one two three four five six well, it seven. doesn't help that it's a s- two syllable i know uh, i think you can just drop the other the syllable but sev, um sev sev yeah, yeah. Big Sev. Um, and I was practicing with my Volca sample because you can change the rhythms on that. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and is is it like musically rewarding when you listen to it? Like, is it, it is it kind of like a is the syncopation to it that's like nice? No, it's <laughs> the the eleven is too. Where with like a two three, you've got like a da 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 da, yeah, and there's yeah. other rhythms that you can kind of get into. Yeah, but this doesn't quite have that, so it feels it feels drunk ish. And it's kind of meandering in a way. Mm. So it has a feel, but it's not like something you can... It's not got a groove. Okay. All right. My left hand's going to try and do the ones. And yeah. my right hand's going to try and do the uh, circles. Okay. All right. I'm going to give it a go. Let's okay. see what happens. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 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 One. Whoa. So Chris, it's your turn. 
I hope bathers I, are trying at I'm home. I'm totally not going to get this. I can tell already. You're, I thought I, I was really interested to see how you do it because you're an actual musician who plays with his hands. Mm. So Let you can practice see. counting just to start with. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, I'm liking that sev maneuver. Okay. I'm fucking hell. I'm just looking at my fingers and going, what am I going to do with these? Okay, so. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 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 Yeah, I fucked it straight away. One, two, three. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It needs to be almost quicker to do it. To, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found going fast-ish is Makes good. it easier. Because there, there is some bars where you don't click your other hand at all, and they're the most confusing ones because you're like, oh, have I missed it? Oh, of course, yeah. Um, Let me try one more time. Yeah, go on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two. Ah, you see, I forgot there's that one, two. I can't yeah, do it. Yeah. I just can't do it. <laughs> I give up. Two goes and that's All it. Right. <laughs> well, that's good. I. I think you get it with a little yeah, practice. Yeah, yeah, with a bit of time. I only did like a little bit of practice, so I think you get the hang of it. Yeah. But uh, I, anyway, I challenged the rest of the bathers to try and do it, and uh, you can get quite quick at it. And you kind of... It's so confusing. Yeah. And doesn't serve a purpose. <laughs> I think, well, it can, yeah. Other than other than uh, being very good at demonstrating um, polyrhythms. Yeah, but it's, it's also a good way to like... Uh, it's just a good way to practice your rhythm. Because, I mean, uh, the same with counting to seven is a weird amount to count to. But to me now, having practiced it only a little bit, it's mm. like, okay. And yeah. then... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, I heard some music in seven, eight. It, there was more demonstration of weird time yeah. signatures. And it's like, oh, you just kind of get used to it after yeah. a while. Like, as much as you get used to four, four or three, four or anything like that. Yeah. Because so. I always used to think 5-4 was like nuts. Yeah, but it's not really. It's not. It's just one, two, one three, more. 1-2-3-4-5. Yeah, yeah. You, have, you just have a little... Yeah. It's like it's just a nice little... You're getting a little extra treat. You're getting <laughs> extra, <laughs> extra treat beat. <laughs> treat beat. 1-2-3-4-treat. Uh, 1-2-3-4-treat. 1-2-3-4-treat. <laughs> yeah. Lovely time. Uh, so, yeah, I hope that's woken everybody up. <laughs> okay uh so it's my dispatch now and it's a song that i wrote this morning and performed this morning and i didn't put my headphones in so i thought i was um fixed into my microphone on my interface but it turns out i was just recording it through the m microphone on the <laughs> laptop uh so it's come out very very rough and ready yeah. uh written today recorded lo-fi through the laptop this is called one pound fifty do you have one fifty for the cloakroom friend i need just one fifty for the cloakroom or we could see if we could try to slip your thinner jacket inside my duffel coat and i promise i will buy you a roman coat That works, right? I'll keep the raffle ticket. Look, I'll put it in my wallet.
shit, shit, where the fuck's my wallet? I left it in the pocket of my coat, which is now impounded in the passport in your coat pocket or anything else precious while you're at it not the time don't trust the people who work at corp you know I just don't really trust the people who work at corp you know what I mean right if you don't want to try the less, we can leave them over there in the bush behind the stairs leading to the bus interchange and we'll save 150 each we'll save 150 I like the lo-fi nature of it. I thought oh, that was pretty good. I wrote it so quickly that I was listening to that and I'd forgotten about some of the weird <laughs> harmonic changes. <laughs> I was like, what What chord is this that I chose to go to? Uh, so I'm sure that was uh, a wild ride for the bathers out there too. The chord organ having another outing? Yeah, it's really fun to play was with. Was this based on a recent... Uh... No, not at all. It was, it, it was just... Um, it was a thing that I felt I had a few observations about. You know, like uh, using cloakrooms and nightclubs uh, in the era when I used to go to nightclubs <laughs> and uh, trying to slip a slip a thinner jacket inside yeah, a bigger yeah, coat yeah. so you get, you'd save it and you're like, look, I'll buy you a drink if we could do this. And then you get your raffle ticket and then you're worrying all night about your raffle ticket. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, just, and then one time, so this, this is mentioned in the song, one time, I don't know if it was you or if it was like producer Paul or an, another like cluster of our friendship group, we decided we weren't gonna uh, use the cloakroom. We were gonna put all our clothes, our clothes, not all <laughs> our clothes, but our, our coats in a bush across the road. Yeah. Because we were just like, well, we'll save money and no one's gonna look in a bush for a coat. Yeah. And, uh, and then we picked them up after and it was just like fine and we thought we'd found like this new system <laughs> just leave them in the bush and then pick them up after i've certainly done that before um this is one thing i've noticed about being a person with a real job is that i don't really mind paying the 150 to put my coat in a yeah, cloak fine, room anymore <laughs> back in the day i would be like try to yeah that sounds like something i would have suggested i don't remember that specific example but yeah shoving trying to save that 150 somehow it was me and paul and we were going to like the um the academy the carling academy as it was called on a rundle oh gate. yeah and um yeah just put our stuff in a bush <laughs> the other thing i don't know if this it might have been you that said this but i at some point as being a student i came up with this genius system that was to put um take my wallet out of my coat yeah Put the coat in the cloakroom, but then leave a fiver in the coat. Ooh. So then when I 
when we exited the club, I had money to get the bus home. And I think I might have mentioned this to you. Or, oh, no, it feels like a Brad Francisco comment where he went, yeah. that's the most Sam thing that I've ever <laughs> <laughs> I was I like, yeah, them. I would accidentally spend this fiver and then I can't get home. Shall we have another dispatch? Another dispatch. 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 Uh, let's go on to mine. Uh, this dispatch is uh, related to a celebrity death, uh, which is quite sad. Um, but uh, Keith Flint, who is the frontman of the Prodigy, uh, died a week ago from this recording. And um, we've maybe touched on celebrity deaths in the past a little bit. Mm. But this is just uh, a sincere tribute <laughs> Um, of mine uh, to him and his bandmates. So this is a prodigy memory. Keith Flint, the frontman of the prodigy, sadly died earlier this week, and I found his death surprisingly affecting. Then, as I've thought about it more, the Prodigy are probably one of the most influential bands in my life. This is for one huge reason. My mum had their albums in the car. I have firm memories of sitting in my mum's Red Rover 200 with Firestarter on full blast. I think the music my parents played in the car indelibly shaped my music taste now. We had Queen, we had Pulp, Michael Jackson, the Blues Brothers soundtrack, Oasis and The Prodigy. But I particularly remember The Prodigy, mainly because my mum loved it. And she doesn't seem like the type, but she also loves New Order and Orbital, so maybe she is a raver at heart. But also, a young me just could not understand how this was made. Like, Oasis are a band with guitars and drums, but what is The Prodigy? How do they even make this music? What is happening? And then there was Firestarter, with Keith Gerninger and nine-year-old me through the TV. It was even on the soundtrack of one of the few PlayStation games we had, Wipeout 2097. It was weird and scary and cool as hell, and it was mum approved. I re-listened to the Prodigy experience today, and even though I probably haven't heard some of these songs for over 20 years, some dark recess of my brain could recall every bleep, bloop, thump and crash, and it's fucking rad. I saw the Prodigy at Glastonbury in 2009, None of my friends wanted to go, so I went alone, wine drunk and raving in a muddy field. It was one of the best live experiences I've ever had. By all accounts, Keith Flint was a mental but super fun and nice guy, and I hope the prodigy can live on without him. But Keith has forever taken a deep part of my brain, and he will be missed. Oh, that was nice. That was nice. Uh, I like um, uh, memory, childhood memories through other things. And yeah. uh, I definitely remember thinking the same thing about uh, seeing the Firestarter video and being actually quite scared. <laughs> like I, being like, yeah. what is this? Who is this freak? I think because I knew who the Prodigy were. Like genuinely, we had the CD, not, we had the tapes in the car. So I think I knew who they were and I was like, this is just cool as hell. Yeah, the way I, c I keep thinking about it, like when David Bowie died mm. and people were like, oh, I saw 
this guy on top of the pops and he was this crazy guy yeah, yeah, yeah. and we couldn't really understand it. It's like, man. That's, that's so before my time. I don't have any concept of that. But in some ways, Keith went doing the Firestarter video was pretty si- a similar experience for me because I was nine years old. Yeah, I was yeah. like, who the hell is this guy? Mm. What is this music? But I loved it. And uh, on the trade up here, I was listening to the soundtrack for the PlayStation game Wipeout 2097 mm. and it is fucking cool. Like <laughs> that game is so, the music on that is awesome. It's like Orbital, it's got Chemical Brothers, it's got loads of other just like rave tunes and uh, yeah, I'm back into 90s techno. <laughs> I've never been that into the Prodigy but I like that. That was nice. Yeah. Um, that was a nice way of looking at it. So actually, I interestingly, my next dispatch is something... <clears throat> Not too dissimilar to that. It's it's memories or a uh, history uh, through the lens of a particular item or thing. Um, sort of like what you just did then. This is genealogy. Hello, I'm Chris Delamere, and this is my genealogy, a personal history through denim. I distinctly remember thinking jeans weren't for me. As someone wide in the waist and short in the leg, I just thought it it wasn't possible for me to find any that would work. I don't think I had my first pair of jeans until I was like 16 or 17, so I was a very late adopter. I remember in this period of my life as well that jeans had to be zip fly. They had to be zip fly. A button fly was just incomprehensible. I remember sometime later in university, someone tried to give me some really quite nice jeans for free. And as soon as I saw that they were like button fly, I was like, no, I'm out. I couldn't comprehend who wore button flies. I think maybe I thought like your knob would fall out between the buttons or something or they'd come undone. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, back to um, teenage jeans. Uh, They're hard to beat. Uh, So we're talking sort of like 2004, 2005. Uh, This was a period when everyone had long hair and jeans which were baggy and long. And the bottom hem of the jeans at the back would live permanently below the heel of your shoe. uh, So that the ends of your jeans would become damp and green. And eventually the hem would give away completely under the pressure of basically being walked upon the entire time. And each leg would have this torn semicircle of scraggy material at the back. And uh, that was normal. That was what we all had. That's what we all did. Uh, My ability to destroy jeans in every place possible, in the heel, in the knees, and most often, for some reason, in the crotch, is matched only by my ability to produce holes in brand new shoes in sometimes less than three months. Now, I seem to remember skinny jeans coming a little bit later, and boys wearing girls' jeans being the new thing for a while, and that was about maybe 2007, 2008. Again, I was left out in the cold on this particular jean fashion, as my odd-shaped body did not go well with skinny jeans designed for women. Now, my university years were not the best of times for me and for my jeans. So legs... Legs don't really change measurement, do they? Hopefully. If they do change measurement, that's, that's probably a sign of something quite disastrous. Um, but they don't really change normally. Since my teenage years, I've been like a 29 in the leg. 30, if I don't mind a bit of fabric 
gathering at the ankle. However, waist sizes, boy, can they go up and down. I think the biggest waist size I've ever worn was a 44, and that was while I was at university. I really can't recall any of the jeans that I wore in that time. I can't remember them. But my great jean redemption came in the 2009-2010 period when I moved back home, started doing a lot of running, and I lost a lot of weight. And I discovered that actually skinny jeans did work for me. And that actually the ones with the extreme taper so that the jean fabric is skin tight along the shin uh, did wonders for my chunky chicken nugget legs. And since then, even though my weight has gone up again, I have developed a good relationship with jeans. Uh, though it is still hard to find good ones. Over time, and much to my own surprise, button flies became the norm. Uh, I think I'd found a pair of jeans in H&M that were a very flattering fit, but they were button fly. And I kind of was like, um and ahhing about it. And I think on that occasion, I just decided to suck it up and just deal with the button fly. And from then on, they became the norm. I'm not sure why I was so anti-butterfly in the first place. They're, they're fine. It's fine. Now, I recently had my first zip fly jeans for a very long time. And it was such a treat. And they felt so good. And it really felt like I'd come full circle. That's it. Uh, I'm Chris Delamere and that was my genealogy. Nice. Interesting. I just I'd been chatting about Mario about jeans. <laughs> so I've been getting into my jeans a bit more. Um like like I said I've just just recently acquired some zip fly jeans wow. which I've not had for years. I'm in a very jean light period at the moment. Oh really? What I've discovered is that um if anyone wants to wear the same trousers as me. <laughs> uh Carhartt's Sid pant uh in a uh, 2934 with the hems rolled up is pretty much the perfect size trouser for me oh nice and i'm almost exclusively wearing those that's good though isn't it isn't it good to find that yeah. one sweet spot until they bloody change the size at some point yeah, and then they won't inevitably. fit anymore as someone who um grew up at the same time in the same places together <laughs> yeah. let's say yeah did, did any of those um oh, observations yeah. ring true let me think so there was a time when I had a very difficult uh, early teenage where I was too big for children's sizes and too small for adult sizes. And this was like where many other young men would have transitioned this period rather quickly. I seem to sit in this for like maybe three years Mm. and discovered that the only trousers that fit me were from Gap. And they, they were the ones that you would walk on the heel of. Um, and they would get it's dirty. It's just wild now. Yeah. I don't understand that. Yeah, that is But that, is just, style, uh, that was just the style. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I remember I was in a band in uh, our sixth form years. We've all been in a band. So. And <laughs> <laughs> Go on. And uh, my bandmates could find incredibly skinny jeans. And it was unbelievable. And I had no idea. They were like, oh, we get them from H&M and from the girls section of H&M. But there was just no way I could find skinny jeans. So actually, jeans. that was more like 2005, But six. they were so they were very ahead of the skinny jeans curve. Oh, okay. So they were imitating uh, when the Kings of Leon first came on the scene. Um, the Kings of Leon wore skinny jeans oh. that they got from... I remember having a conversation with Joe Lawrence about where he got his jeans. 
and he said he read an interview with the kings of leon where they'd asked them where do you get your jeans and they said we get them from the thrift shop in the ladies section and uh, i think joe managed to imitate this style as well wow um but i I didn't get it deep into skinny jeans until possibly a year later when i'd finally reached my full height at the age of 19 that was when things got very very tight and i was wearing extra extra small t-shirts and uh Probably a, tw- a 27 waist. Bloody hell. Uh, what are you now? I'm pretty much a 29 waist. I'm pretty much a 29 waist and a 33 leg. And I'm, that's like what We're my size is. We're different beasts, aren't we? My size hasn't really changed for like 10 years now. That's amazing. I've been within the same five kilo weight range for like, yeah, since I was 20. So that's wild. And the that's same with my... a total different other life to me. Yeah, between 28 and 30 waist. Uh depending on the style well i thought that'd be interesting i thought i thought not to get into it go on so on (laughs) but with the leg sizes you say the leg size doesn't change the funny thing is that leg length fashion changes so we're in a very short leg fashion at the moment oh yeah i see what you mean um but say for example i went into the carhartt shop and i said you know i need a 29 waist and i thought Short leg trousers are in right now. Maybe I'll get like a 30, 32, mm-hmm. 31, something like that. And then they'll be fashionably short. But funnily enough, if you get trousers that have short leg sizes, it changes the rest of the shape of the trouser. And then they just fit. Don't compl- work. They just don't fit. Yeah. No, I know what you um, mean. So you have to get you get, short... get some issues around the yeah. knee region where yeah, it ends like... up being too baggy or something in the knee region, but then comes short at the ankle. Exactly. Yeah. Wild. Bizarre. So yeah. anyway, I've settled on a 33 with a turnip. Turnips. You yeah. see? <laughs> oh, I didn't even bring that up. I've started doing turnips now. But anyway, I thought that'd be interesting. I thought other people could, you know, ask, ask of themselves, um, what is my what 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 is my gene history? Uh, this is like this not is to like talk more about my mum. Sorry to interrupt, but this is like my mum's favourite subject, by the way. Oh really? My mum's always like jeans through the ages. Oh, when you find a pair of jeans that fit just right, it's just magical. Like I don't. I still. I would still say I've never found the perfect pair. My mum will good, tell you a that good she, pair. she bought some uh, Armani jeans in nineteen ninety something or other, and they were the perfect pair. And she will tell you about this. And uh, what happened to them? Well, they just wore out because it, you know, but... That's so sad. I know. There's nothing you can do, though. <laughs> I know, I know. There's nothing you can do. Everything is impermanent. And we're all going to die. <laughs> Although, <laughs> let's get into it. There's uh, the oldest jeans in the world. Uh, Competition. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, but there's like jeans from like 1880 yeah, something. Yeah, we found them in a mine or yeah, something. Yeah, 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 I've heard about that. So maybe your jeans will outlive you. This is a thing I've <laughs> thought about a lot. You know, denim items are so ubiquitous in our fashion. But they didn't always exist. But they, they've like, their origin is beyond living memory now. Yeah, yeah. So they've been around a long, long time. Will there be a time when they just don't, they're just not around anymore? Yeah, I suppose you could say that people with their roughs, they were like, I was going to say roughs. We've always <laughs> had roughs. For the past 200 years, we've always had roughs. Can you imagine a time without a rough? There were shorter roughs for a bit, then there was longer roughs for a bit. And they go in and out of fashion, don't they? And and that's going to happen to jeans, surely. Well, that's the futuristic utopia, isn't it? Just like the the, boil, the skin just, tight boilers. Just boiler roughs. No, just roughs. Roughs around every limb. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't rule it out. No, I'm not. 
I'm investing in it right now, <laughs> just in case. In my head as well, that was like, um, you know, the Unmade podcast. Yeah. That's like one of their kind of topics. Oh, you, very you know, much so. That's know a that. great, that's a good, good suggestion for them. You know that podcast. Yeah, Explain it a little like, bit. Uh, it's uh, Brady Harron and Tim Hind. They're two middle-aged Australian men. And their podcast is just them pitching ideas for podcasts to each other. Mm. And then they kind of do like a mini version of it. But a lot of them, a lot of Brady's ideas in particular are basically subjects, interviewing people on very specific subjects. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's very much with Genealogy. Yeah. Shall I pitch it to them? Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Come to the bathroom. Yeah, 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 yeah. Chris, last week you brought us some bathroom innovations from last year. I did, yeah. Some technology that came and went. Mm. And uh, in my surfing of the internet, I came across some bathroom technology of the future Ooh. that you can, I think, buy right now. And that is the newbie intelligent toilet with Cola Connect. Um, Cola Connect? I don't know what that means, but that's what it's got. <laughs> This is a smart toilet. It is an intelligent robotic toilet. Mm. And uh, as far as I can tell, it lights up. It has an app. Uh, like it can play songs. Music. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty not that interesting. So it like flushes for you. It like turns on some nice lighting. As a feet, foot warmer. I guess that's all right. But... Um, I sent this to you, Chris. I thought yeah. you're an expert in bathroom technology. Absolutely. I, I need to send this to you. And you replied with not ambitious enough. Not at all ambitious enough. If you're going to have a smart robotic loo, I wanted to do so many things. <laughs> so many more things. So, Chris, this is the pitch meeting for, um, let's say, the Numi Intelligent Toilet with Cola Connect 2.0 we're going to get in touch with these people at uh numi or cola i don't know which one is the company but we're going to send them an email and i would like some pitch ideas uh, i've got a few go chris so i'm thinking uh defecating is there anything worse any human experience more disgusting well that age-old question can be answered with yes of course there are much worse things than shitting um i think when you're shitting and you want to feel better about the degrading thing that you're doing, uh, the toilet should tell you of much, much worse things that humans have done. So your trauma traumatic pooing experience pales into insignificance. Audio clips range from the lunatic speeches of genocidal maniacs uh, to clips from soap operas. Uh, of sort of sort of bad eggs, you know, and it's not that bad a, a bowel movement, and like you you just like have a soap opera villain, yeah. Um, uh, but when it's like a real bad movement, you've got um, your Hitlers, your Mussolinis, <laughs> uh, just sort of chatting in into your bumhole. So that that was that was one of the ideas I had that the toilet would be able to react to your bowel movement at the time and give you um, a comparative. Yeah, uh, bad, very, very bad thing that uh, another human has done. Yeah, how about you? you um, well, the first thing I thought of was um, so during our hiatus when we weren't recording the podcast, I got very interested in Olympic diver Tom Daly and <laughs> national treasure, might I add, Tom Daly. <laughs> uh, this became a subject of my wife's wedding speech, but we won't need to go into that. But anyway, uh, watching Tom Daly's uh, daily vlog, which is called. I feel Tom's like his daily called, blog. I think his daily vlog. I feel like it was like daily, daily or something like that. Anyway, I could talk to you for literally an hour about Tom Daly, but we're not going to get into that now. 
But what is a turd if not an Olympic diver? So when divers um, are practicing new dives, what they do is they have this like a bubble system that breaks up the surface of the water. Oh, okay. Yeah. So if you mess up the dive and you belly flop, it reduces the surface tension and you um, it doesn't hurt as much. Yeah. Introduce that into the toilet, right? Because what's the word? Because turds have feelings. No, <laughs> no, but it's all about splash prevention, right? You don't want splash back. Right. Splash back is very bad. Right. So I think if you had some sort of roiling, boiling toilet water, then... Um, it doesn't have to be much. Just no, a nice no. little fizz. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I know what you're thinking, Chris. What? Isn't this going to be quite loud? Well... Worry not, Chris, because sound isolation technology clearly exists. You can buy Bose headphones with sound isolation technology. So we need to incorporate that on top of the roiling and boiling. Yeah. Um, so that will isolate the sound. So you get two, two for one. Fine. No more splashes. Do, yeah. No more sound. Easy. Current technology. But what about the uh, poo particles that are going to, you know, little parts that are just going to come up with all the oh, bubbles and stuff? come on. We get poo particles anyway. I think what we want is like a, some sort of vapor screen. Ooh. that will uh, keep all the odours and all the splashback and just everything. We want to keep it all at a nice low level. Like a poo greenhouse. It lets yeah. things in, doesn't let them out. Exactly. Exactly, Chris. So uh, that's that's my uh, first suggestion. Do you have any other suggestions? I was just thinking it would just be a really wonderful novel experience to have the feeling of like shitting into a jacuzzi. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Which is what you've described there. Exactly. And I want to kind of know what that's like. <laughs> I think uh, maybe this is a feature that we could sell to the continental market. Um, one whereby you get, um, so you know, on the, in like German toilets, they have a little shelf. Oh yeah, where you can um, inspect your leavings. Pool, <laughs> your leavings. Um, I think you should get like you should get like a breakdown of like Exa- that was one Brist- of my ideas. Your Bristol stool chart exactly. number. Yeah. Here's your number. Here's what you've eaten. And better than that, if you're more on like the one or the eight side, you know, on the, you know, on the very extremes of the stool sample chart, there'll be a suggestion from your own toilet yeah. as to the foods you can eat to make you more into the sort of neutral four territory. Yeah, I was thinking you could take it further in including urine as well. So you could a short urine of analysis course. to see uh, pregnancy tests just pregnancy in the toilet. Te- yeah, just in the toilet. Just in the toilet. You pee in the toilet. It's like, oh, prego. We could you could have a full gum clinic in there <laughs> in the toilet. <laughs> That'd be perfect. Exactly. Uh, couple with that, if you needed to take a sample elsewhere, it would automatically. Maybe if your toilet was worried about Ooh. your health, it'd just go. It'd come out with a little cup and be like, whoop. Yeah, like a sort of vending machine <laughs> operation system. Yeah, that just brings it out on a little conveyor belt, and then you just piss just into the into the little cup. Yeah, great sample. Like, yeah, I like it. <laughs> the final one I have is um. Oh, actually, I've got two more. Uh, I have targeted cleaning and freshening. Which is just, um, mm. I mean, given, you know, uh, camera technology, etc., it could use, say, a 3D mapping to target where you are dirtiest and uh, hose those down, those parts down. We're, we're getting rid of wiping. I'm not wiping in the future. Come on. Come on. So, we shouldn't really be wiping now, exactly. apparently, according so, to people who are better at hygiene. I think a, a hose down and a dry down, but targeted, so, you know, so you're not wasting time. But surely a, a version of that exists, you know, like targeted bidet style uh, sprays. And then do they have like a bum, a bum dryer? Yeah. 
They're bum dryers, right? Yeah. Bum dryers is not the technology of the future. <laughs> no, but we've got to include it. Targeted bum I'm drying. T- I'm you that is the future. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the last one I've got is it should be completely unblockable. So that's really good. It should realize that maybe there's a blockage coming up and like figure out a way of dealing it. Perhaps we can use some uh, some deep learning algorithms yeah, to yeah, yeah. Uh, really figure out the best ways to break down the wastes before it gets flushed down. But also, I feel mm. like people will abuse this system. They'll say, hmm, my toilet is unblockable. I will just shove a Sheffield star down the toilet and hope for the best. Now, this is where I think the toilet should have a vengeance feature, where if you are trying to flush something that is clearly not supposed to go in, I'm going to include uh, baby wipes and uh, those flushable wipes that cause all these fat bergs and stuff. Right, yeah, yeah, the yeah. The toilet should spit it right back at you. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. I like the idea of an unblockable um, toilet. I, I like the hubristic um, <laughs> term unblockable because they did say the Titanic was unsinkable. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think of what is what is the iceberg uh, <laughs> for the unblockable toilet? Like what could finally be the undoing? Well, this is what I'm saying. Like something that should, it would have to be something that should in theory go down there. So something like poo matter. No, I'm saying it should be actual poo matter, but who is not what, it's who. Who is responsible <laughs> yeah. for the poo matter that blocks the unblockable toilet? <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's a new story for the ages, isn't it? <laughs> We've added a lot there, right? Yeah, I'll draft the email. Yeah, let's send that through to them because it's ridiculous. We don't want just like mood lighting and like linking up to alexa or whatever does it link up to alexa yeah, it does do that oh yeah i think that's its main feature that is it it's just a, another alexa yeah who cares that opens its mouth <laughs> <laughs> alexa open your mouth uh. oh Right, so uh, my next dispatch is my dispatch. So my next dispatch is something I made last night. I found myself locked out of the house. (laughs) I forgot to take my keys to work and Jade was out. Uh, She she was at the pub with her friends after work. It was Friday night. And... um, so I just had to sit on the step. I told Jade I got no keys. Um, and so she started to make her way home. But obviously I was sat there for quite a while. Uh, so I made some notes, audio notes, of 12 things you can do when you're locked out of your house. Things you can do when you have locked yourself out of your house. One, listen to the rain and the wind. And the cars. Two. Wonder why they only paint on the edges of stone steps. That's why I'm wondering right now. The left and right side has been painted red, but there's like a bare bit in the middle. I've noticed this on steps a lot. They they leave the middle part of the step bare. Wonder why they do that. Three. Hope that someone who lives in your building 
comes out of the building so you can go into the building. Not that you can get into your flat, but at least you can sit in the drier, slightly warmer environs of the uh, reception area. Four. Look for any moths. This sort of entrance way could be cubby hole is is lit so it's always enticing moths so you can look for moths oh there's one there's a tiny little sharp angled uh, black black speckled moth and it's just sitting there on the wall that's nice I'm glad I was locked out so I could enjoy this moth five begin to wonder if talking to yourself outside of a building on your own is actually uh, maybe alarming behavior uh, and that maybe someone's listening to me and maybe i don't like that uh, six hope that your girlfriend gets a taxi home from town even though she said, oh, shall I get a taxi? And you were like, no, nah, it's okay, I can wait. Don't worry, don't worry. Get a bus, take your time, whatever, you know, have a drink. But also hoping that she kind of does get a taxi and gets here quite quickly. Seven. Um, begin to get very confused about whether this list of things that I'm saying you can do when you're locked out are activities I am actually partaking in or just imagining and whether the true activity is recording a list of the things you could do. The list itself is the main activity that I am doing whilst locked right now. I'm, and I'm getting quite confused thinking about that. Eight. You can think about um, chopping up some vegetables, just mentally, in your head. Chopping up, an, chopping up an onion, uh, maybe some pepper. Just mentally chopping all of the vegetables you would be physically really chopping uh, if if you weren't such a fucking idiot and had left your keys on the table. Nine. I think we got some. I think we got some cheese, and we got some olives as well. I could use them. Bit of tomato, bit of pasta. Make a nice little uh, little pasta dish. Yeah. Ten. Worry that you don't have enough battery to keep updating this list or enough battery to entertain yourself whilst you're waiting to be saved. <laughs> um, I've got 55%. I'm going to be fine. 11. Just keep messaging your girlfriend saying, where are you now? Yeah, but where are you now? Yeah, but where's the bus now? Okay. Yeah, but where is it now? Twelve. Hiya. You're tired. I've been sat on this step for an hour. That is your room. <laughs> and that's where I stopped recording. <laughs> there you go. That's all of the many wonderful things you can do and think about whilst uh, sat outside of my house or your house, but specifically my house. So, is it your next uh, dispatch? Is this the final dispatch? This is the final dispatch, oh, Chris. Nice. And we've reached the show and tell portion of uh, the episode. I'm excited. 
And um, I bought a little synthesizer. Uh, this is the Mute Synth 4.0. And uh, it's just a cool little thing. So um, back in 2011, uh, producer Paul Brad Francisco and I went to a noise music festival in Birmingham mm. called Supersonic. And we went to a workshop with a guy and we built uh, the Mute Synth original one. Um, and that was eight years ago. And they released the Mute Synth 2 in 2014. And this is the Mute Synth 4. Oh, nice. And uh, basically, it's a little kind of noisy, lo-fi, difficult, unpredictable, textured, sound-making thingamabob. Well, let me just say, it's um, it's just a bare circuit board. Yeah, so it's... With a, a series of, uh, what are they, like transistors? and Yeah, so we've got a transistor, we've got some capacitors. So you can see the components from the synthesizer yeah. that are just like, put onto the board but it's cool because you can just see all the bits and pieces that yeah. make it up and uh, all the knobs control different things and you get some really cool it's very hard to control and that's kind of part of the point is that so you, hard to control insofar as you don't know how to manipulate to get it to do the thing yeah you're you kind of out, thinking you want yeah you can to. figure out some stuff oh, but okay. oftentimes you get into a sound and you don't know how you got there and then if you try and go there again right you okay. just can't get okay there. yeah yeah I was hoping to record something with this, but my other failed dispatch took up all my time. So I thought we could just have some live performance. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll give it a go and then uh, we'll give it to you, Chris. And, yeah, let's see what happens. Um, but this is the borderline unlistable sound art portion Hooray! of the episode. Um, yeah, I'm just going to... If you tune out now, we've been dispatched from the Kuno <laughs> bathroom. No, it's cool. It makes a load of weird noises. All right, so here we go.
Well, that's our show. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> you can uh, find me and uh, some synthesizer adventures at my Instagram page, uh, SR Bradley. You can find Chris and his uh, band adventures at Spine Trolley. You can find us both on Instagram and other places at Communal Bath. All of our dispatches, our episodes, everything is on communalbathroom.com. I've put loads of stuff on there. There's just tons of stuff. And uh, there's also our SoundCloud page, which is at soundcloud.com forward slash communal hyphen bathroom. Uh, tell your friends about us uh, if you've enjoyed this. It's been a good time in the bathroom this time, Chris. Considering neither has brought anything. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun. And we will see you next time, bathers. Don't forget to wash behind your ears. Bye, Bye baby. baby. Yeah.